Mary Pratt was his first victim, and she was found in South Dallas, basically naked. The only thing that she had on was a t-shirt and bra, but that had been pushed up past, well, not past, but above her breasticles, okay? I felt uncomfortable saying breasts, so I said breasticles, all right? I'm sorry. Sometimes human anatomy and sexual parts make me uncomfortable, all right? Her eyes were also sewn shut, well not sewn, but close shut, and her face and chest were badly bruised, plus she also had a 44 caliber bullet lodged in her brain. <laughs> yes, my mama eat you like Jeff Dahmer. Say she on a period, let's make a mess, mama. I desensitize myself to it. I, 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 uh... I don't know, I went to great lengths. Never did I. Do it would be this easy. Had him off that shit greasy. They'll be the nigga shit cheesy. People said they get my corner when I turn around. Oh, it's just measy. Everybody want to get away from me because I got heebie-jeebies smashed up like Michael. That game on the Halloween. What would you do with the sexual parts? I wouldn't make the audience. How long ago did this start, so? Welcome back to the rainy day horror show. I'm Big Daddy D, and you're listening to the number one podcast on the internet and today is serial killer sunday boy do we have a good one oh we have a good fucking one this dude loved eyeballs he would carve them up eat them just kidding he didn't eat them but this dude fucking loved eyeballs allegedly this is going to be a very very controversial serial killer and as Dusty goes through this episode, and he'll explain everything at the end. It is, it's a weird one. It is, so, we've never had something like this on the channel before. And it's just because they convicted this guy off of hairs. Yes, hairs and hair alone, which is very, very unheard of, okay? And it just, it's just wild. You guys are going to enjoy it. You guys are going to love it. So I'm going to introduce your host for tonight's episode, Dusty McBalls, the certified cougar hunter and your host with the most. Kick those Crocs on. 
get a drink, and let's have some fucking fun. I love y'all. Deuces. Thank you, Big D, for that beautiful intro, and just like he said, it is Serial Killer Sunday. But we all knew this, we all knew this, and it is going to be a good episode today, alright? We're going to Texas, we are going to learn about a dude, a serial killer, that would cut out the eyes of his victims. So, it's going to be weird. It is also going to be... A pretty long episode. I don't know how long just because I'm recording it and this is the beginning. But from just the word count, I'm at like 4,700 words. And it's going to be a little bit shorter than my Diet Love Pass episode that I did. And that was like 5,500 words. So it's going to be a long episode. There's a lot of information. And that is either, I don't know, a good thing or a bad thing depending on how you look at it. But it's going to be a good episode. There is one part that this serial killer shared with Jeffrey Dahmer, which is kind of weird. It's kind of weird because it both sparked their weird intro, like their weird interest into like human anatomy, I guess. But it's going to be a long one, so just sit back, relax, you know, get some to drink. Speaking of getting something to drink, I'm going to go get my iced tea because I am parched right now. So give me two seconds. Okay, I'm back. Alright, hold on. I need a timeout. I need to fix up my shit again, and I need to take a sip. Because I'm thirsty. Real thirsty. So, now that I'm all set, kick those Crocs on. I can't remember if I just said that five seconds ago, but if I didn't, kick them on. Alright, it's, it's going to be a good episode. So, we're just going to jump right into it. Charles Frederick Albright was born in Amarillo, Amarillo, I don't know how to say this, I'm sorry, I'm not from Texas, on August 10th in 1933. Right after Charles was born, he was put up for adoption and was adopted when he was just three weeks old by Del Albright and her husband, Fred. The Albrights lived in an all-white middle-class neighborhood called Oak Cliff, which is just outside of Dallas. Now, this is the 1930s, you know, in fucking the United States, so racism is still really, really big, alright? Most of the prostitutes in this episode that Charles went after were white, 
but in this area that he lived in and grew up in, they were predominantly black. There was some white and some Hispanic, but the prostitutes were predominantly black, and we'll cover that more later on in this episode. Now, growing up, Charles had a really, really weird childhood. Dell, his adoptive mom, made sure that Charles knew she would never abandon him, so in return, she would basically pamper his little serial killer ass while also disciplining him with extreme punishments. After have to burp time out. Okay, we're good now. Where was I? Okay. Dell would also dress up Charles in little schoolgirl dresses and would make him hold dolls while changing his outfit three times a day so he wouldn't get dirty. She would also take him to the Parkland Hospital so he could see the polio patients hooked up to the iron lung machines hoping that it would scare him into being clean. And as far as punishment goes, it was it was pretty brutal. She would lock him in dark rooms. When he wouldn't take a nap, she would tie him to his bed. And if he didn't drink the goat's milk that his mother had prepared for him, she would spank him. And they had a little hobby farm outside in the backyard of their house where she would get this she basically had a goat and she would milk the goat to get goat's milk, right? She thought, now this is why she only had goat's milk in her house. She thought that it was just better for the body than cow's milk. And that was the only real thing that she would let him drink other than water. I couldn't find anything saying that he, you know, he drank pop or drank juice or any of that stuff. All I saw was that he would like religiously drink this goat's milk. Now, according to Dallas neighbors, they could never recall her buying a dress for herself. It was always for Charles. Dell mainly wore scarves to cover her head and clothes from the goodwill. Although Dell and Fred were far from poor, they were extremely stingy. They'd even pick up the old bones from the butcher shop and use them for soup. Incredibly stingy people. I I understand being stingy. Maybe 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 they went through a really really rough time where they had very little money and they just became stingy, but listen. If you live in the middle class neighborhood and you're, you know, far from ever being poor. Why don't just indulge a little bit? Just a little bit. You know what I mean? You've earned it. You've worked hard. You've done the shit, right? You've gone through the week. Just indulge a little bit. That's no, that's something that I never really understand, right? I understand if you like want to save up for certain things to buy, but like if you have the money, why not just spend it? You know what I mean? Unless, you know, you're waiting for an apocalypse. If you're one of those people. No disrespect to those people, but I'm just saying. 
But still, even then you're spending money on these massive bunkers, all this shit for when the world goes downhill. And you know what I mean? But I, I've never really understood that, why people don't ever, you know, let loose a little bit. Now, Charles never once complained about the punishments or about wearing dresses. He actually appreciated his mother for the things she taught him, whether that was through a form of punishment or the talks that they would have together. Dell had also taught Charles to respectful to be respectful to women, especially during sex, because his dad, well, his adoptive dad, Fred, would always grab his mother and force her to basically have sexual intercourse with her, right? Well, with him, not with her, but with him. And she hated that. She did not like it whatsoever. So she instilled this respectful women idea into Charles, which, you know, respect the women. We all know this, okay? It's not good to disrespect women. People, if you go to prison and people find out you to disrespect women, what do they do? They always beat you up, whether you're a rapist, a sex offender, whatever. They always whip your ass, okay? So, be respectful to the women, and he was taught this. She also taught him, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say it at all. And when Charles was going to school... This man was so smart that he eventually moved up to grades and that was because of his mom. She wanted him to succeed so bad that she would teach him piano lessons for 30 minutes every morning before the bus would arrive to come and pick him up and take him to school. She also, on top of the piano lessons, would consistently teach him stuff about like reading, writing, and math outside of school. So this dude was constantly learning. And even when he turned 11, she enrolled him in a mail-ordered course from the North Northeastern School of Taxidermy that was taught by Professor J.W. Elwood. And this would like basically kick off because he is known as the eyeball killer, okay? And I'm pretty sure he can figure that out, but we'll dive more into it. He loved eyes. He thought they were the most important thing when it came to either taxidermy or when he became a painter, right? But it's weird, okay? It's weird because this is like one of those semi-connections to another serial killer, Jeffrey Dahmer who would dissect roadkill with his dad, right? So it's it's this is it's so weird to see this weird similarity between two serial killers that basically kicked off their interest into anatomy and one of the reasons why they did what they did when they, you know, killed people, right? Charles first worked on dead birds that he found and he would take them home back to his little workshop that Dell had set up for him in the house and together they would taxidermy these animals. Dell would show Charles how to use the tools like, you know, the knives, the 
the brain scoopy thing that scooped out the brains, the scalpels and the forceps, everything that had to deal with taxidermying an animal, she would show him and like they would do it together. She even skinned the first bird for him to show him how it was done. And after that, he basically would spend several hours almost every single day basically taxiderming these dead animals or any animal that he could get his... Well, I said dead animals. I meant dead birds. But he would taxidermy these dead animals or these dead birds just like religiously, I guess. And he turned out to be pretty good at it after a while and you'll see why he was really good at it later on in the story. Now, Charles's favorite thing about taxidermying these animals were the eyes, like I just said a little bit ago. He would go to his local taxidermy shop and stare into the vast assortment of the eyes that he would want to, you know, take home for his own projects. But since his family was so stingy, his mother, Dell, wouldn't buy him any of these special eyes that he wanted to use for his animals. She instead showed him an easier and a cheaper way to deal with the eye sockets. And she showed him that basically you could just show them shut and call it good. And that's what they fucking did. And Charles was okay with that. Now, as Charles grew older, he started to get annoyed with Dell's overprotective parenting ways. Some people think the reason she was so overprotective was because Charles was her first and only child. But because she was so overprotective, Charles started to lash out and get into a lot of trouble. Charles once accidentally set his chemistry teacher's dress on fire. He was failing some like some of his classes in high school and he decided to steal his report card from like the teacher's lounge or where they like the the administration office where they keep these report cards and would change all of his failing grades to an a, he then forged the teacher's names and the principal's name on this report card, would bring it home and basically act like never happened, like nothing ever happened. Charles also had broken into the local church and his family. They were some pretty hardcore Christian folk. All right. We've got another, you know, Christian serial killer on the fucking loose. I don't know why, but it's just a repeating situation within all of these goddamn Serial Killer Sunday episodes for some fucking reason. They're all Christian. I don't know why. I told y'all to get a handle on the Christians, right? Christian people, I told y'all. Get a handle on your people, okay? And we got another one. I, I, I know this was like, like 70 years prior to what I'm talking about now, but still, people, still, right? This is a learning moment. This is a learning experience, right? We can't, we can't, right? 
I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why they're out going killing people, okay? I don't have the answers, right? I'm not an all-knowing person that can tell you. This is why most Christians become serial killers, all right? I can't fucking tell you. I'm sorry. But they just are. Now, after he broke into the local church, he also broke into a little store where he stole a watch from, and he actually got caught and charged for this petty theft. And at the young, ripe age of 13, he really nothing happened to him. It was basically a slap on the wrist. Another thing that you'll figure out throughout this story, Dell was so overprotective about him that every little crime that he committed and got caught for, nobody in the community would find out. Because Dell would say, oh, he's off living with his parents, or not parents, living with his grandma. He never lived with his grandma. That was just an explanation. At one point, he did get arrested, and Dell did tell the neighbors that he went off to go work at a nuclear plant in Florida, but we'll cover, we'll get there in a second, okay? And she would basically just try and cover everything and keep his reputation from truly getting leaked and tainted within this community. Now, when Charles turned 14, his mom and dad both gave him a piece of property that he, that they had purchased for him. Charles, being the smart, young, independent 14-year-old that he is, decided to turn around, flip it, and decided to buy more property, making him basically this 14-year-old local celebrity within his small town. And when Charles turned 15, he then graduated from Adamson High School and went off to attend North Texas State College in Denton, Texas. Now, when he first started out and attended North Texas State, everything was going fine. He was this picture-perfect student. But by the end of his freshman year, Charles was arrested along with several other students after he was named a member of a student burglary ring that broke into three stores and stole several hundred dollars of merchandise. Now, Charles claims he stole nothing and that the other boys asked him to keep the stolen merchandise in his room. But the cops bought none of that and he was ultimately sent to trial where, get this, his mom tried to talk to the judge so he could so she could be his attorney basically but thankfully the judge fucking denied her i don't know why she would want to do that she's not even fucking qualified right if listen people i'm going to be so fucking honest if my if i went to jail for robbery and my mom was like let me be his attorney i would immediately be just like Go send me to jail. My mom isn't going to do shit, okay? She is not a law professor, profe- professional. That's the word. I was going to say professor, but I meant professional, okay? Give me a goddamn lawyer with some actual experience, okay? Because if my mom represents me, I'm basically already fucked and going to jail. And thankfully, the judge said no. I would have been livid, but the judge said no. And 
at the end of his trial, he was charged with robbery, spending one whole year in state prison. Once Charles was released, he was ready for a fresh start and went on to attend Arkansas State Teachers College, promising his parole officer that his evil ways are behind him, which we know is a lie, otherwise we wouldn't be doing an episode on him. While he was attending Arkansas State, he became one of the school's most popular students. He was president of the business... Well, let me, let me rewind. He was president of the French Club, business manager of the school yearbook, member of the choir, and halfback of the football team. And, allegedly, when Charlie signed up for a drawing class, well, for an art, for a draw, for an art, for an art drawing class. That's what I was trying to say. His art professor was so impressed with Charlie's good looks that he made him a class model. He was basically the dude that sits up there, butt ass naked, while everybody draws him. That that was his job. That's what he fucking did. And I bet he loved showing off his wiener to all the hot girls in that class. A man can only dream of what he would do in an art class. Me, bro, I would be fucking... (laughs) If that was me, I would be, like, doing weird shit with my dick, right? I would be doing weird... I would be doing porn porn star poses. I would do, like, the Johnny Sins one leg up fucking dick in the hand. Like with a semi-erection just holding it. Looking at the person directly in front of me right in the fucking eyes. Just grabbing my girthy meat and just looking at whoever it is. Just dead in the eyes. Just in the most serious way possible too. Or I would do it like, you know, in the movie X. Where fucking Kid Cudi just got done fucking Britney Snow. And he's looking out the window and he's flexing butt-ass naked. I would be doing that. I would be doing weird shit in that fucking class. But even though he was having a really good time at Arkansas State, he was still doing little pranks around the school. Nothing too big to land him back in prison. Except for the fact that he was caught at some point throughout the school year leaving with stolen property that also included the football coach's golf clubs. (laughs) I don't know why he stole the golf clubs. It didn't specify why he stole the golf clubs in my research, but maybe he felt like playing around in the Dallas heat. I don't fucking know. But after he was caught, he was then, um, I have a burp, hold on. Okay, it went away. He was then caught and tried and eventually got convicted of stealing from this school. But the school, which this is also a repeating like outcome throughout his story, the school didn't want to tarnish their reputation for this Incident, And I know I just said he was tried and convicted. 
I lied. He was not tried and not convicted for this. They just kind of let it slide because they didn't want something to, you know, tarnish their reputation. He was also dating at this time of when everything, when he attended Arkansas State, he was dating a female English major named Betty Hester, who also attended Arkansas State. And after Charles got expelled, they ended up getting married and they both had a daughter together. Now, from the age of 20 to the age of 36, Charles only committed petty crimes, such as basically receiving and concealing stolen goods. But he was never able to get convicted because there was always a lack of evidence. Also during this time, he was forging degrees from Texas State University during, you know, this span. I just reiterated myself twice and I don't know why. And how Charles did this fucking baffles me. I don't know how they allowed this. Maybe they just weren't paying attention. Well, we're about to find out in a second. I don't know why I'm... Sometimes I get excited when I'm telling these stories and I kind of jump too far ahead just a tiny bit and then I accidentally re-say what I just said five seconds ago so I'm just going to continue and hope that that doesn't fucking happen within the next five to ten seconds okay now what he would do to forge these documents at Texas State University is he would slip into the there's there were three different offices on this camps on this school's campus he would grab all the necessary forms copy them add his name forge the signatures and then sneak the files back into the office and because he was able to do this he eventually landed a teaching job as a science teacher at a high school in Crandall which is a small town east of Dallas Allegedly, what had happened was Charles showed up right before the beginning of the school year and the principal had been looking for a new biology teacher that entire summer. So, when his, well, when this principal saw that Charles had a master's degree in biology, he hired him right away. But unfortunately, that journey was short-lived because while Charles was teaching at Crandall High, he was attempting to forge another diploma that would give him a PhD in biology from East Texas State University. Allegedly, what had happened was that, well, how he got caught was that an administrator at Texas State University kept seeing Charles's name pop up as a graduate for, you know, over those years, over that 16 years that he was getting diplomas. And this administrator has never met Charles, didn't know who Charles was. And this is simply because this man did not go there, right? He was not a student. I'm being serious. He would just show up to this campus because he used to go there. Well, 
not go there. That was sorry. I was thinking Northern State. I was thinking Northern State. Northern, Northern Texas State. That's what I was thinking of. This one is closer to his house, and so he would literally just show up at this school, go into these offices, and just forge these documents and then head home. That's literally what this man did. And once the administrator started connecting the dots that Charles isn't a fucking student here, he was confronted about the forged documents from the Crandall High School principal because the ESTU administrator had called his boss, basically. And when they confronted him, Charles admitted to the crime. He was then arrested and charged with fraud and only received one year's probation. ESTU also decided to keep this incident and this scandal out of the papers because they were embarrassed that they had allowed a middle-aged man to embezzle fake diplomas basically out from underneath them without them knowing he was able to fucking do this and they were just embarrassed after he was fired from Crandall High him his wife Betty and their daughter moved back to his old neighborhood and lived quite close to his parents house once they settled down it was very very difficult for Charles to hold down a job. Now, his wife at the time was an English teacher, and he was getting money, basically, that he saved up from his parents because of the properties that they all owned. So, he didn't really fucking work, right? He was just a lazy little bastard. He he, he, he did so much shit, and it's like crazy. It's really fucking mind-blowing, which I can't really say shit because I've been through so many fucking jobs since I've been allowed to work. Like, I'm not even kidding. I've been through 10-plus jobs. So, I I don't... I'd, I can't really say shit about Charles, but this dude is has a wide variety of shit that he did. He first started to work as a designer for a company that built airplanes. Then he worked as an illustrator for a patent company and took it after that, then took a job as a carpenter, then collected wine bottles because he wanted to open up his own winery. Then he bought a lathe to make baseball bats, did that for a while. Then he decided to travel to a Texas Mexican Mexico, not Mexican, a Texas Mexico border town. And he decided to become a bullfighter. Then after that, no, it, I'm being serious. This shit keeps going. After that, he became a hairstylist after he visited a friend who worked at a saloon in Singer Harris Department store. I almost said stare. I don't know why I said stare, but I meant store. And then, finally, he... <laughs> this is the last one, I promise. He finally... 
became a painter. Well, his last job at the department store kind of overlapped with being a painter. Sorry, I had to start. I started for a second. And get this. He was such a good painter that he actually won an award at the Texas State Fair for his portrait of a dark-haired woman in a long green gown. And while he was doing all of this remarkable shit, he was still being a lunatic and stealing shit. Plus, he also got through a divorce with Betty in 1975. So... This is a dude with multiple wives like most serial fucking killers. I don't, I'm just amazed that I'm still baffled. Like, this dude was just the epitome of like, I can do anything, right? Every person's dream to be just this well-rounded. This man had it all. Not only was he a great painter, but if you needed a baseball bat to go either break your ex-boyfriend's car window or to hit a grand slam, this dude had you covered. He was a man of many fucking assortments. If you needed a new house, boom, carpentry, fucking Charles did it. If you needed, what else was he? If you needed your hair done, boom. Charles gave you that nice 80s fucking blowout. This man was just... (laughs) Just fucking impeccable. In 1971, he was arrested and got probation for forging a cashier's check. In 1979, he got caught shoplifting two bottles of perfume. And in 1980, he he got caught... Stealing a saw from Handy Dan, which was the local hardware store in their town. And he received a prison sentence for six months. Out of, I think it was, he was sentenced to three, but only served six out of it. If my brain is correct i think that i'm pretty sure that's what happened don't quote me on it but i'm like 90 percent sure that is what truly happened and to not tarnish his relationship because remember like i said his adoptive mom like like to make up lies so it wouldn't hurt him she told that he well she told the neighbors sorry i'm tripping over my words she told the neighbors that he was down in florida working at a nuclear power plant but when march 25th 1985 came around oh yeah this is bad this is really bad charles got charged and convicted of sexually assaulting sexually molesting or raping however you um want to say it because i know some people you know Specific words makes make them feel icky, or if they are a victim of sexual assault, it brings back bad memories. So, whichever one of the three you want to call this, just roll with it. And this girl at the time, she was 14 years old, and he was 50 fucking one, which is extremely disgusting. 
but according to the records of what I could find on this situation, because it wasn't that well documented, I don't know why. I'm pretty sure it was just to keep him from, you know, people finding out what he did, but I don't fucking know, okay? Charlie had met, I don't know why I did a long long pause, don't make fun of me. Charlie had met the family at his local church called St. Bernard's Catholic Church in 1979. Five years later, Charlie would show up dressed as Santa Claus, giving that girl and her siblings presents. After the presents were open, he then allegedly snuck himself and that 14-year-old girl into her bedroom where he sexually assaulted her. And when the girl's parents found out, they really wanted to keep the matter quiet just because they didn't want the church to stigmatize their daughter. But they did want Charlie to pay for what he did. And when this trial was going on and he did get convicted of it, from what I did read, a lot of like women, because he was single at the time, he wasn't married to Betty anymore. He was just on the prowl looking for that just good, succulent female meat, right? That's what he wanted. He was out there. Some would say he's in there like swimwear, right? That is what he did. And a lot of the women that were at the courthouse, because he did have a lot of female friends, they were shocked that he got convicted of it because they knew him as a very nice man that loved to give presents to them like he would always give whatever girl he was going out on a date with a present and they would also say every girl would also say that he is very attractive drop dead gorgeous sexy just like johnny sins (sighs) sorry that was weird johnny sins okay we're gonna go on a little tangent real quick so i used to have YouTube premium, but I don't have it anymore because it got expensive. It's like 20 fucking bucks a month for YouTube premium. I'm not even fucking joking. It's really, really fucking expensive. And I haven't gotten ads for like the past year, year and a half, because that's I signed up for it a while ago. There is now on this one specific YouTube ad, they have Johnny's sins. And his opening line is the funniest fucking thing I have ever heard. It is him, word for word, saying, Hey guys, it's your favorite astronaut. Or no, let me rewind. He's like, Hey guys, it's your favorite doctor, lawyer, teacher, astronaut. And it's one other thing. And he's like, If you really want to go hard like me and you want to stay you know, have that stamina, try this. And it's like, it's a boner, it's a boner pill fucking ad. And it is so fucking funny. It makes me laugh. It is probably my favorite ad that is out there on the internet. 
Now, in this instance, now I'm jumping back to the story, okay? This incident, I couldn't find how much time he did. Um, I might have glossed over it. I'm pretty sure it was out there, but I just, you know, might have passed it. Okay, so don't get mad at me. I am human, and I make mistakes, all right? So I might have glossed over it. I thought I saw it, and I thought I wrote it down, wrote it down but I just didn't. After he was, you know, convicted of that, you know, sexual molation, molation, molestation of that 14-year-old girl, he eventually met his new future wife at the time, his girlfriend, in late 1985. And he met Dixie Austin when he was on a trip to Arkansas. And they ultimately fell in love, got married, and once they got married, Charles, like, almost immediately after they got married, Charles decided to frequent the red light district without Dixie ever knowing, okay? And we are going to, we're getting closer to the murder spree. The, the serial killer tendencies are about to come out. So, when I say remember these names, people remember them because they are going to come up later on in the story. And you'll connect the dots and you'll be like, oh my fucking God. Now, some of the main girls that Charles would pick up in this red light district, the first one was Susan Peterson, and he was known as her sugar daddy, and he would frequently bail her out of jail. She, was, she even made Charles a co-signer on her bond applications. Mary Pratt was another female that a female prostitute that he would hook up with and she he was actually friends with Mary before she even became a prostitute she had lived in south in a south dallas neighborhood where charles's parents would invest in cheap rental properties and at the time when mary and charles met he was temporarily living in one of the rental homes. And according to several sources, Charles had a brief fling with one of Mary's female friends. And he would bring Mary and that friend over to his place for parties. They got frisky at his house. They maybe had a threesome. I don't know. It didn't specify if this was post prostitution that she got involved in or pre-prostitution so maybe they got free maybe they had a devil's devil's three-way is that what it's called i don't even what is a devil's three-way i gotta look it up now this is gonna bother me i'm going on so many this is just fucking adventure today devil's three-way meaning let's see people this is how young i am sexual oh it wasn't a devil's three-way devil's three-way is a threesome between one man and two women well, then what's a three-way called with, what's a three-way called with two men and one, 
two women and one man. Let me look. What's a three? No, not angry. What's a three sum between two women and one man? Let's see what comes up here. Um, it's not coming up with anything. Maybe it's just a normal threesome. I don't fucking know. I'm getting weird. I'm getting weird things here, and it's making me uncomfortable. One of these says, 57 signs and rules to have a threesome and the three ways and the three-way tips and positions. Here's another one. Threesome, two women, one man, porn videos. Oh, that's a porn hub. <laughs> that's a porn hub link. No, don't take me to that. We are not looking at that right now. Almost clicked on it. What's this one? Oh, WordPress.com. Let's get it on. Trains versus threesomes. Olivia A. Cole. Okay, maybe there's not a fucking nickname for a threesome with one man and two women. But I don't fucking know. Anyways, he had this fling with one of Mary's friends. But this is where... This is where it would get really bad in his red light district fiasco, I guess we'll call it. Because in late 1987, Charles started to become very, very mean to these prostitutes and they started to cut him off. Charles would allegedly ask prostitutes to beat him and spank him like a child. One prostitute, Edna Russell, would come out and say that Charles asked her to do a double, what is it? A double, a double, a double. Yeah, it's just called a double. To do a double, which is just slang term for a threesome. Edna asked one of her friends, Susan Peterson, if she'd be down for a threesome and Susan said yes. So after they made the trip up to meet Charles, they eventually found him and followed him to a motel room where he then handcuffed them both to the bed and beat them with an extension cord and his belt while yelling at them. And I quote, scream, bitch. I know you like it. What the fuck? I thought his mom, you know, taught him discipline. Taught him to treat women with respect. But I guess when it comes to prostitutes, that's out the fucking window. What a weirdo. What a weirdo. You know, if me and Gabby were about to do it and I said, beat me and spank me like I'm a child, I would expect her to leave the room, get in her car, drive away, and never talk to me again because that is something I would fucking do. That is the weirdest fucking thing ever. People have the weirdest kinks. Like, I'm not one to be, ew, that's weird, but like, some of you guys, not you guys because we're cool, we don't have anything weird, but like, there are some weirdos out there that just are into the kinkiest and weirdest shit. Like, I never understood being peed on. Like, 
complete I don't know if that is like a normal thing or like pegging like I would never you could never catch me getting pegged now if there's a dude that listens to this that likes to get pegged no disrespect I just don't understand it okay I don't understand it. I don't know if it feels good. I don't ever want to fucking find out because if it does feel good, then I am scared for myself because why then I like it. And that would make me uncomfortable that I even fucking like it. You know what I mean? So, so all I'm going to say, just some of y'all have the weirdest fucking kinks. Now, allegedly the reason why he became more aggressive to these prostitutes was because both his parents had recently passed away within like seven, eight years. His mom died in 1981 due to cancer and his dad died in 1986 due to a heart attack. Now, after Albert's dad had died, Albert's, I meant Albright's dad had died, Charles had inherited $96,000 along with his childhood home because his parents still lived there, his childhood home and their other rental properties that they had scattered across South Dallas. And since he was so heartbroken about their passing, he decided to leave the house and Wait, whoa, let me rewind. Sorry, I tripped up. I just blanked for a second. Because he was so upset and sad about his parents dying, he decided to leave the house that he grew up in and all of the other properties that his family had owned in his dad's name. And to bring in extra money, he decided to rent out one of these tiny, tiny, basically, shacks that is allegedly a house to a truck driver named Axton Schindler, okay? Not related to the Schindler's List guy. I'm just putting that out there. Two different Schindlers. Now, Axton was kind of a disgusting human being. Like, I know we have gross, like, killers on here, but this dude was, like, a non-killer that was just fucking disgusting, Axton would stack trash at least three feet tall within this house that he was renting from Charles. And he had no running water or electricity. He instead used a Coleman lamp to light the house and would shower with bottles of water. People have told Charles at this time to kick him out, but he never did because he liked Axton. He thought he was just a normal, regular dude. They had no issues, so he just said, hey, you can live here because you're not causing problems. And I also forgot to mention at the at this point, I don't know why I forgot to mention it, but I wrote, I wrote it down to mention it specifically at this part. So, Charles' parents both had died, and when their house, when he was given their house, Dixie and Charles 
moved into his childhood home from one of their rental properties. And as we fast forward a few years, Charles literally ran through his entire inheritance money that he had gotten from his parents' death. So, in October of 1990, Charles decided to take a job as a paper boy delivering papers on a route that went through Oak Cliff from 3 in the morning till 6 in the morning. He would then sleep and go out and play soft, like senior soft pitch slow, senior soft pitch, senior, senior slow pitch softball. That's what I was trying to fucking say. Oh my God. This is, this is why I don't record at three o'clock in the morning, but whatever. Now, some of his teammates would come out and say that he was never upset or ever showed an angry bone in his body, even if a scuffle broke out between the two teams. Like, it just wasn't his cup of tea. He would never, ever, ever get involved. But there was this one time where he let his, you know, persona, his fake attitude slip in front of all of his teammates. At the end of the game, well, at the end of a game, Charlie and his teammates were hanging around the ballpark and just, you know, talking about their day, whatever, and just basically drinking beer because that's what you do at their age. You know, beer league hockey is a thing. I've seen it. People just slamming beers on the bench, okay? It's fun, but... I mean, I don't drink, so I never did it, but the people that did, I just, I think it's so fucking funny that, that people would do this just because as a kid, you know, you watch these comedy hockey movies and you see them like slamming beers on the bench and shit like that, specifically Slapshot. And I think it's in Slapshot. I could be wrong, but it is just so fucking funny because you would joke with your teammates about it, like, oh yeah, when we're older, we're going to be playing beer league and just drinking beer while we're playing hockey. And people actually fucking do that. And I think it is so fucking funny. But that's what they were doing after this game. And as they were sitting there, all of the sudden, one of his teammates noticed that a car with two women drove by the field on the nearby road very slowly. After noticing the car, one of Charlie's teammates jokingly said, Hey, Charlie, you're single. Why don't you take after them whores? Okay. Now, I don't know why his teammates said this and why they think he's single. Because at this time, he is married to Dixie. Okay. I couldn't find out why they said it through my research, but they... It was said at some point. And Charlie ended up replying to his teammate with, Hell, I'd kill them if I could. And this shocked the living fuck out of his teammates because he's never said anything like this or anything along the lines of, 
being graphic or angry towards anyone ever before. And they asked, like, what do you mean? We've got to have whores. It keeps men from chasing after married women. And after that was said to Charlie, he then snapped, saying, the hell it does, and marched off his marched off to his car and left. After this interaction, a few days went by and all of the team got back together because they were, you know, they had to practice. They were doing a day to practice. And they all tried apologizing to Charles for what they had said. And Charles basically told them that it's a touchy subject for him to talk about because his biological mom was a prostitute, which we don't know if that's actually true or not since he was adopted. I would also like to point out that when Charles was growing up, I intentionally left this out because I didn't know when the, when it would be a perfect time to put it in the story, so I thought now would be good. But Charles was told by his adoptive mom that his biological mother was a law student and she got pregnant and married when she was 16. After her parents found out that she was pregnant and married, they then forced his biological mom to give him up for adoption and that she needed to break the marriage off with her husband. So... We don't fucking know what she was. I couldn't find any information on her. But that is allegedly what Dell told Charles. Now this interaction between Charles and his teammates was literally a month before he started murdering prostitutes within his area. And in December of 1990, Charles would finally first make his presence known. The first victim was a female prostitute, Mary Pratt. I told you to pay attention to the names because this is one of those names. All of these prostitutes, gonna spoil it, are those names that I listed like a f- 10 minutes ago in this story when I was telling you, hey, you gotta pay attention to these names. I'm listing all of them right now. They were all his victims, so we're going to go in order of who it was. Mary Pratt was his first victim, and she was found in South Dallas, basically naked. The only thing that she had on was a t-shirt and bra, but that had been pushed up past, well, not past, but above her breasticles, okay? I felt uncomfortable saying breasts, so I said breasticles, all right? I'm sorry. Sometimes human anatomy and sexual parts make me uncomfortable, alright? Her eyes were also sewn shut, well not sewn, but close shut, and her face and chest were badly bruised, plus she also had a 44 caliber bullet lodged in her brain. She was found by a local neighborhood man who promptly called the police after he was out walking and discovering her body, basically. Well, he didn't try to go out looking for her body, but he stumbled upon it on a walk, okay? 
When Detective John Westphalen and Stan McNeil arrived on scene, they searched the area for any more clues and they didn't find anything. It was basically clean. All they had was Mary's body. And what they did was they sent her body to the Dallas County Medical Examiner's Office and upon further investigation, the coroner was able to find out that Pratt 1 had track marks. She was a little bit of a heroin addict, okay? And a bullet was obviously, you know, in her head or cause of death because there was a massive fucking hole But the most important find of this whole situation was that she had no fucking eyeballs in that cute little skull of hers. None. They were gone. They were fucking gone. Cut out. Actually, if you want to get technical, cut out of her fucking skull. Now, according to the coroner, Her eyes were removed so carefully that her upper and lower eyelids were undisturbed. And what I mean by undisturbed is that there was no tears within. Like it didn't look like somebody just went in there digging with a knife. Like they were careful, they were precise, and when the eyelids were closed, you could not tell that she didn't have any fucking eyeballs okay now after this wild discovery detective westphalen then decided to contact fbi's most violent crime apprehension program unit in which is basically a database that the fbi agents use to find a whole listing of the nation's most unusual and depraved mutilations that suspects have committed. And through this database, when the FBI was looking through it to find anybody to maybe possibly get a match to what's going on, he couldn't find anybody. And so... Hold on, sorry, I had an itch in my head, like an itch on my head, and it threw me off. Let me rewind for a second. The FBI agent that he was, that Wes Phelan was talking to, couldn't find any criminal with this level of precise cutting. Even those, even, my writing is so bad in this episode. Even though this lead took them nowhere Little did Detective Westphalen know that there was going to be a lead that him and his fellow officers would accidentally look over. A lead that was going to solve the case, not immediately, but quicker than what happened. And it was just a lead that would haunt them. December 13th, 1990. Two hours after Mary's body was discovered, two new officers are now entering our story, okay? These two officers are John Matthews and Regina Smith. And on the morning of the 13th, a known local prostitute named Veronica Rodriguez 
had come up to their police cruiser and told them that she was picked up by a white man and was driven to the outskirts of Dallas where she was raped in a field. The man then tried to kill her but was but she was able to escape from him and run to a nearby house where she happened to know the man that lived there. And on top of that, she also claimed that the man that was living at this house knew the man that was trying to kill Veronica. Now at first, police did not believe her story just because she was known to be a notorious liar. But two days later, they saw her. They saw Veronica in the passenger seat in the Star Motel parking lot where most of the prostitutes frequented. This is where they stayed. This is where they handled their business, right? She was in that parking lot talking to a middle-aged white man with balding hair. As Matthews and Smith pulled up behind the truck, they both got out and approached the vehicle. Once they made contact, Officer Matthews went to the passenger side to escort Rodriguez back to the squad car while Officer Smith talked to the driver. And the man that she ended up talking to was Axton Schindler, who is friends with our serial killer, Charles Albright. After, after, not... After Officer Smith asked for his information, she then ran it through dispatch and it came back that he lived in Oak Cliff at 1035 El Dorado, which is inaccurate. After Charles and Dixie had moved to Charles's childhood home, their new address was 10. 35 El Dorado and Axton used Charles address because he wanted this is quote unquote he wanted to live a private life and didn't want to be bothered by the feds after Smith found this information out she started questioning Axton about Veronica's story And he denied all of it, saying that he was not involved in saving her and had no clue what she was talking about. And after the questioning was over, Officer Smith and Officer Matthews were a little bit upset with Veronica, so (laughs) they took her to jail, booked her for prostitution, and also arrested Axton and made him pay his unpaid parking tickets. And then two months later, Charles would strike again in February of 1991. This time, he killed prostitute Susan Peterson, who was 27 years old. And Susan was found in the exact same manner as Mary. She was basically naked, shot in the head, and had bruises all over her, over her body, eyelids closed, and she was also discovered on the same street 
that Mary was found on except on the opposite side. Like if you're looking at a street, she was murdered on the left side, Mary was murdered on the right, okay? Just had a, wanted to paint a better picture for you guys. Now, like I said earlier in this episode, well, sorry, let me backtrack. I skipped ahead. When detectives arrived on scene, they grabbed her body and shipped her off to the coroner's and found the same fucking thing. Eyeballs, gone. Now, like I said earlier in this episode, this area in where Charles is killing these prostitutes, they're, ma- they're predominantly black. And this is where that comes into play, okay? Some are white, some are Hispanic, but predominantly these prostitutes were black. And the prostitutes that Charles is killing as of right now are white. And these prostitutes, the the minority grouped prostitutes, the prostitutes that aren't white, the women of color, okay? They didn't care that these white prostitutes were getting killed, okay? They looked at it as a period in time where they could make more money since there was basically not a whole lot of competition going on amongst them since one group of people, the white people, were being wiped out, okay? But as time grew on and another month passed, they quickly changed their mind because this third victim that was found in the early morning hours on March 19th, 1991, was a black prostitute named Shirley Williams. And she was found in the exact same way that the two previous victims were found. She was found semi-naked, only wearing a yellow rain jacket. She had both eyes cut out and a gunshot wound in the back of her head. Her body was dumped in front of an elementary school in the heart of Oak Cliff. And when the police arrived on scene, they found an open condom wrapper sitting right next to her. The only thing that was different about this case was that when the coroner was examining her body, they found a broken off tip of an exacto knife stuck in the tissue of her eye socket. The coroner would basically say that compared to the two previous murders, this one was rushed. Like he was afraid of getting caught. Something was going on that forced him to rush through this surgical removal of the eyes. But they still had no murder weapon, no fingerprints, no true leads that could point them in the right direction. And they it, it kept going cold. The only reason that they kept basically this... Um, why they were so on top of this investigation was because these murders were only, they were so fucking close, close together. At least one a month, these women were getting murdered. Okay. And 
I just had a thought in my head and it flew out the fucking window. Damn it. I forgot what it was. So we're just going to keep going. Where was I? Well, okay. The only other piece of evidence I guess they had was the broken off blade of the exacto knife. But little did they know, they were just a few days away from catching the break that they needed. March 22nd, 1991. Officer Matthews and Officer Smith were spying on a black prostitute named Brenda White. And when they approached Brenda, telling her to basically be careful out on the streets, on the street corners, she was... After they told her to be careful, she basically decided to share a story right on spot. And not just, you know, a normal story, a very fucking important story with a lot of information to these two officers. Brenda told Matthews and Smith that a man with a dark station wagon had pulled up alongside her and that she had gotten into his car. Brenda said he was a husky-looking white man with salt and pepper hair, cowboy boots, and blue jeans. She told him to go to the local motel, and this guy said, No, I've got a spot we can use. And Brenda said, as a way to protect herself, she never allowed a new client to take her anywhere but to the Star Motel, where the prostitutes frequented. She then told him to drop her off immediately and after she said that, this man got extremely angry and hostile towards her and and shouted, shouted to her, I hate whores. I'm going to kill all of you fucking whores. And as this assailant went to grab Brenda, she decided to snatch her mace and pepper sprayed this fucker right in the eye sockets. And then she jumped out of the car. After Matthews and Smith were told this story, it was kind of basically on their mind the, in- the rest of the day. And after they went home, they both decided to follow up with this story. Not only this story, but the story that Veronica was- had told them. It was on their minds. And so the next morning when they came back to the office, they decided to run Ashton, Axton, not Ashton, Axton Schindler's address through their database. And what they found would not only kind of confuse them, but point them in the right direction to take this investigation. Now that the... Now, when the officers plugged in his address, the name that was found on the property document wasn't Axton's. Instead, it was Fred Albright. Now, this confused the officers, like royally confused the fuck out of them. So they decided to plug in Fred Albright's name into their database. And they found out that Fred owned a property that was located in Cotton Valley, which is where these, where, not where these, but where two prostitutes were found 
dead. Which confused them even more, because it also showed that Fred was deceased. Okay? So they're confused as fuck. But thankfully, uh, officer that was kind of helping them with this investigation and helping them look up specific names in the database reminded them of a tip that hap- a tip that came in several weeks ago. This officer told them that someone had called into the office claiming that she was friends with Mary. She then told the officer that she had briefly dated this na- this man named Charles Albright and that he had exacto knives in his attic. After this officer told Matthews and Smith this story, they then ran to the county's identification division and looked up his name to find what kind of criminal record did he have. Once they discovered that he had a lengthy criminal record, they then drove to meet with Detective Westphalen, telling them everything that they had found so far. After they told Detective Westphalen what they found, Officer Smith and Officer Matthews then went out to Brenda with not only Charles' mugshot from years ago, but other mugshots, just random ones, just to see which name, if she was going to pick Charles out, basically. Okay. If she picked him out, they knew that he, they had the guy, right? Once they found Brenda, they asked her if they showed her the lineup and she picked out Charles. Now that they're excited and think that they're getting somewhere, they then decide to go and find Veronica. And once they located Veronica, they showed her the same lineup of mugshots that they had and she didn't say anything. She was about to pick out Charles, but she got scared, okay? She was very, very scared of Charles and what he was capable of. So they instead decided to bring her down to the station to meet with Detective Westphalen. Now, Westphalen took Veronica into a separate room and interrogated the fuck out of her. And after she was, you know being interviewed she eventually broke down and said that the man in the photo this man because he had the whole lineup in front of him too and he was trying to get her to pick out one of the guys in this lineup she eventually picked out charles and at 2 30 in the morning on march 22nd 1991 the dallas police force burst through charles house with a search warrant arresting him on spot for the three brutal slayings of these dead, the three dead prostitutes and brought him to the station for questioning. Okay. Once Charles had arrived at the station, Westphalen started to interrogate him while the FBI and the local police force searched all his properties and what they found and what they found on his property was nothing short of incriminating. They found a Smith & Weston 44 Magnum, several X-Acto knives, a red-stained condom in his house, 
several books about serial killers, Nazi literature, and several dolls without eyes. The only thing that they didn't find were the eyeballs. Okay, this will come up at the end. I'll come back to this, so just briefly put this on the back burner. When Charles was questioned by Detective Westphalen, he said absolutely nothing. And when they decided to question Dixie about his whereabouts, she claimed that Charles never left the house early for his paper route and that he always came home on time. And at his trial, at his trial, this is, I wish this motherfucker would have killed Veronica because she's fucked this investigation up so many times. And this is one of those spots where she fucks it up again, royally fucks it in the ass, bends it over, makes a fist and goes elbow deep like it's a vent, like it's a fucking Jeff Dunham ventriloquist dummy. She goes just in on it, right? During his trial, Veronica decided to testify as a witness for the defense, saying that she was coerced by Westphalen into picking out Charles's photo and that her and Charles have never been together Never talked. She doesn't even know what the fuck he looks like. But obviously, well, I mean, obviously she knows what he looks like now because they're in the courtroom together. But up until that point, she had no idea what he looked like. But during this trial, even though she was on the defense's team, that shit did not matter because Toby shook. A 30, a not just a 33 year old prosecutor, a gangster 33 year old prosecutor that worked for the Dallas County District Attorney's Office had a trump card. Not the president, you assholes. The, the phrase, a trump card, okay? For the first time in its history, the DA's office was going for a murder charge solely based off of controversial hair evidence. And it fucking worked. Because his hair was found on the bodies of all three dead prostitutes, including the yellow jacket that Shirley Williams was wearing. Now, for the people that don't know, because I also found this out, Today, while I was doing research, for the people that don't know, it is very difficult to use someone's hair as the only piece of evidence. It's not as conclusive as fingerprints. I looked up how accurate the like this hair DNA tests are, and the internet said, because that's what we use for research, and I know it's the internet, so this could be wrong, okay? I don't fucking know, all right? So, this is allegedly, all right? Allegedly, hair DNA tests come back between 80 and 90% positive, with a 10% chance 
chance of coming back inconclusive. But, and I want to stress this, they did not only have his hairs. They also found hairs of two out of the three dead prostitutes on a blanket that was in the back of his truck. They then also found the hairs of Shirley Williams, the third prostitute that he killed in a vacuum cleaner at his house. Okay. Now this, now another reason why this is so controversial is because they are prostitutes because they are getting with so many guys in one night. I mean, they might just only have one, but they also might have five, six. I saw one guy or one girl that they were talking about that was kind of a veteran in this area as a prostitute. She had up to, I think, 12 dudes in one night at one point. So, this is another reason why it is, this is a controversial case. Because he might not have murdered them. Okay, we'll get more into that at the end. But, he might not have been the only guy at that they have gotten with. And as far as the gun that they found at his resident at his like main residency, it turned out to not be a match to the one that was used to execute these three prostitutes. But after his trial was all said and done, Charles Frederick Albright was charged on December 19th for the murder of Shirley Williams because there wasn't enough evidence to connect him to the other two prostitutes that he may or may not have killed and he was sentenced to life in prison his defense attorneys attempted to appeal this charge due to lack of evidence but it was overruled charles albright was in car what i said incarnated <laughs> oh that's funny that's what I typed into my notes. That's so fucking funny. Charles was incarcerated at John Montfort Psychiatric Unit until he died at the age of 87 in 2020. Now, I'm I'm going to tell you why more on why this case was controversial and why a lot of people thought that Texas may have convicted the wrong man. They never found the eyeballs. Okay. And while a lot of prostitutes within his area, from what I was reading from that area, not a lot of prostitutes would be killed. I mean, there was some prostitution killing, but not a lot of them were murdered. And being the only evidence that they had against him was hairs from the victims that were, you know, in his truck or in his vacuum. That could also be explained that, you know, maybe he wasn't the only guy in 
that had gotten, that had paid for one of those victims that night. She could have been with multiple dudes and maybe one of those other dudes murdered all three of them. And for the vacuum, maybe he cleaned out his truck and you know what I mean? So it's not proof. Now, if there were her, his fingerprints like, you know, on her face, on her body somewhere or something a little bit more persuasive, maybe people wouldn't have thought that he, you know, maybe people would have thought that he actually did kill them. But because there was so much like lack of evidence and hair was literally the only thing. I mean, he didn't even have, allegedly, he didn't even have the gun that was used to kill these women. Now, I took forensics class, so I'm going to try to not mansplain this to you guys. Not every gun, if especially if you're not really into guns and you don't know, you don't know a lot about guns, every gun is different. It's kind of like a human. It's kind of like a person. Like, our, our DNA is not the same compared to everybody. So when, a, when you look at a gun, every rifling of the barrel, which is like the little swirlies on the inside of the barrel, is different. The firing pin that hits the back of the bullet that allows the bullet to shoot out of the gun hits different on every gun. So not every gun is the same. They are manufactured by the same person, but they are not the same gun. And I guess when they took, they seized that gun at his house and they ran ballistics tests on it, it wasn't the real, it wasn't the gun that was used. So it's, it's a, it's a weird wishy-washy kind of case. And it's interesting nonetheless, but with hairs being the only thing, I mean, they didn't find the gun, they didn't find the murder weapon, they didn't find the fucking eyeballs that this serial killer was, you know, collecting. And some people even said that around the same time that Charles was allegedly killing, there was another dude that was out there killing prostitutes, but... They didn't say who it was, so that's allegedly that is what happened. But this was a very controversial case and kind of confusing to research, but we got we did it. We got a good story out of it. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed it. Um I love Texas, never been there. I would love to go visit Texas. So I think that would be fun. I mean I kind of want to go like I don't want to leave out the other states that I've done, right? Like Washington, California, Oregon. Did I do Oregon already? No, I didn't do Washington. I did Oregon and what? California, Washington, Minnesota, and then you guys. So, haven't been there. I would love to go visit, but I heard everything's bigger in Texas. I would love a fucking steak. Speaking of Texas... I used to watch Demolition Ranch all the time. And if you guys, if you don't know who he is, a lot of my Texas viewers will they'll probably know him. He is basically owns a gun channel on YouTube and he's fucking funny. He's so funny. He does just like, you know, can a bullet go through cinder blocks? Can a, you know, he does a dot like 
if you're ever in a situation where you need to defend yourself, what guns are proper to use in self-defense and like what you could take cover behind, which I mean, you guys know my standpoint on guns. I think that they, you know, shouldn't be banned. I think that's stupid just because with how crazy people are, you know, you never know when you walk out in public, if some random psycho is going to come and pop you with the gun, right? You never fucking know. So, but we'll talk about that a different day. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I'm going to leave it here. I know my creepy encounters episode didn't come out yesterday. I'm sorry. Okay. I got busy. Gabby came over and this story, this, this story usually doesn't take me that long to write, but I kid you not, there was so much information with this story that it took me like seven hours, not even exaggerating seven hours to fucking write my script, but we're good. We're good now. We got a good story out of it. Um, what else? Let's see what's going on next week. I wonder, I got to see who we're doing on next serial killer Sunday. What state? I might, I might, because I don't want to leave my international viewers out of the loop. I might go internationally. Hold on here. So, next state is New York. I don't know if I want to go New York or a New Zealand serial killer, but I'll probably make my list well, I'll probably pick one of the two within the next few days. So, remember, tomorrow we have, um, what is it? Final Destination 2's murder, like, premise. The, the, the log crash. The inspiration behind the log crash is what I'm trying to say. So, we'll do that. And, yeah, we'll have a good week. So, I'll see you guys tomorrow. Remember, stay frosty, stay foxy, and most importantly, the most important thing on this planet, stay safe, you beautiful peacocks. I love y'all. Deuces. (laughs) 